at Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food. We'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here, in the ordinary everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Good morning. Today's passage is Luke 9, 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he told them to, uh, he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away and go in, to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all those people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his apostles, Have them sit down in groups of about 50. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. And may God bless the reading of his word. That's awesome. Uh, well, it's a joy to be with you. My name is Paul, as Nathan was saying, and I serve as adult ministries and spiritual formation pastor at the Troy campus. And uh, on occasion, I get to travel to other campuses like yours, and I get to uh, see how God is working in these different communities. And it is awesome to see. And just one of the things that I'll say is every other campus I go to, I have to say, can we do a public reading of the word? And you guys already do it. And that's really awesome. Uh, so don't take that for granted. But we are here. And I tell you what, every time I read the passage, I just love that part where Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And that is really a, a huge part of what we're going to look at today. And uh, as you have, hopefully, your device or your Bible, please follow along with me as we go through the text today. But uh, what I want to do is I just want to, first of all, give you kind of a roadmap of, of where we'll be going. And yes, it's there in your bulletin, but, you know, uh, I don't live close to here. I live about 30 miles away from here. And so what do we do? Just like many of you, you put the address in Google Maps and it gives you where you're supposed to go and how long it's going to take to get there. I can tell you where we're supposed to go. I can't tell you how long it's going to take us to get there. But uh, as we are here in Luke chapter 9, here's what we're going to be looking at today. The big idea is that Jesus is enough to fully satisfy everyone who comes to him. And that's a really great thing to orient us. We're going to look at the fact that Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Jesus is never too impotent to provide for all who need him. And Jesus is never too limited to satisfy all who hunger for him. 
Now, I want you to think about this just as we have been going through the Gospel of Luke. It's always so important to orient ourselves to what God's Word is trying to accomplish here. Now, to fully understand this, you know this, go to Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, you understand why Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing this gospel. He was writing this gospel to a man named Theophilus, who probably wasn't a Christian, so that Theophilus could have a more orderly account of the things that Jesus had done. And so Luke is writing this. This is like an evangelistic story that's being written to a man named Theophilus. And praise God that the Holy Spirit preserved it. And here we are today in 2022, reading from the Word of God, reading the same words that Theophilus read. And we're learning about Jesus in the same way that Theophilus learned about Jesus. Now, as we look at this passage as well, we want to always ask the question, what would it have been like if I was there seeing Jesus do these things, hearing Jesus say these things? What about if we were one of the disciples? How would we have taken it in that way? And what would we have, what would we have done? You could even zoom out a little further. If I was one of the 5,000, notice this says 5,000 men, which means there are probably thousands more people there when you include women and children. What would it have been like to have been in that audience that day, to have been hungry and to have your soul and your, your body satisfied by the fish and the bread that just kept coming and coming and coming until you were completely full? And to hear Jesus say those words and to see him healing those people and then to see this smorgasbord of food that he miraculously provided. Now, as we're in this series, Soul Food, you know, it's always, it's always fun to think about eating, okay? I, I've been exercising a lot more this year, and I told my wife, I exercise so that I can eat more, right? That's just the way it works for me. But as you think about this feast that was happening here in Luke chapter 9, take your mind, if you would, to perhaps one of the most delicious, taste buds satisfying, mentally enjoying type of meals that you've ever had. Now, I love the Lent season and I love particularly Easter Sunday. It is our favorite holiday in the Dalton household. And of course, yes, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, which is by far the main reason we enjoy it. But let's be honest, we love our Easter meal. We love it whether it's ham that we're having or whether I'm grilling lamb or we're having all gratin potatoes. And of course, my wife likes to make a beautiful salad and, and we have all the, the fillings that you could have. I mean, it is just a beautiful meal. But one of the other things that I love is except for 2020, every Easter, we have other people come and join us. We have people who come to church with us who maybe wouldn't go another Sunday. And, and we have people that we share our food with. And we just have a great time celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And that meal is both satisfying to our souls and it's satisfying to our taste buds. And this is something that was going on here in Luke chapter 9. As we see the text unfolding and what Jesus is doing here, and keep in mind, Jesus is performing a miracle that presented perhaps one of the greatest feasts ever recorded in the Bible. And we're told that he did it in a miraculous way. 
So that context is extremely important. And to help us understand a little bit more is just to realize in our own lives, perhaps a satisfying meal that fed our souls and fed our bodies as well. Well, let's dig into the text here and let's look at our first point, that Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Now, as this is happening, verses 10 and 11 tell us this. On their return, the disciple, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, this passage is beautiful because once again, as Luke is writing this for Theophilus, one of the things he's communicating through Theophilus is that Jesus will meet your needs. And Jesus doesn't grow tired in meeting your needs. He can meet your physical needs and he can heal people. And you see the ministry of Jesus unfolding in a beautiful way. And if, if you're not too careful, you just read over it in a nonchalant way. Like, oh, there's Jesus and what's he doing? Oh, He's talking to the people. What's he also doing? Oh, he's healing people. It's almost like this became so normal in the life of Jesus that it was now second page news, right? It hadn't made the front page anymore. But now it was a second page news because it was so common. But this is what was going on. And notice also, if you go back just a little bit, Jesus in this instance, is not only healing people and speaking to them, but he's also received the disciples back from chapter 9, verse 1, when he sent out the twelve. And what did they do? Verse 6, chapter 9, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus not only did this himself, but he empowered his disciples to go out and to do the same. Now, one of the things that begins to happen, though, is perhaps the disciples are feeling a little bit weary, right? And as Jesus is doing this, we're seeing this, this tension that exists between what the disciples or the apostles are doing and experiencing versus what Jesus is doing and experiencing. And you think about it this way, because Jesus, of course, is the model for us. Jesus doesn't get weary. And this is so consistent with the message that he had had time and time again. Matthew chapter 11, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Paul picks up on this theme in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, one of the things that Jesus teaches us here is there should always be time for ministry. There should always be time to, to minister to those who are seeking Jesus. That's what Jesus modeled. That's what he was teaching his disciples. And that's what he teaches us even today. Well, second, we want to think about this, that Jesus is never too impotent to provide for all who need him. In other words, it's not impossible for Jesus to minister to every single soul that seeks him out. We see this with 5,000 plus people gathered, listening to Jesus, many experiencing the healings of Jesus. And we think about this in the context of today. Do we have and do we exhibit our own personal ministries that are always open to gospel opportunities? 
As a campus, are you always open to gospel opportunities? As a Woodside Church, are we always open to gospel opportunities? This is what Jesus is modeling for us here in verses 12 through 15. Back to the text. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and to buy food for, for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. Now, think about this again. What's happening here? The disciples who had just gone out preaching and healing many people are now finding them in a situation where they resort to pragmatism. They're looking out at the crowd and they're thinking, there's no way. And they think they're being caring for the people, right? I mean, here's Jesus preaching and healing. And the disciples realize, you know what? It's getting late. The sun's getting ready to go down. And, and we're not close to town. We're in a desolate place. So let's send them away. That's really going to be the best thing. Let's send them away in order that they can and get the food that they need so they can get home in time to get the kids ready for bed so that they can have a good night's rest. Jesus, it's been a full day of ministry. We've preached to many people. We've healed many people. We don't need to do more. What is best is for us to send the people on their way so that they can get what they need. And by the way, if we're reading between the lines, Jesus, we're kind of hungry too. We're kind of tired too. And I love what Jesus does. And there you have that verse where Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. This is completely against what the disciples were thinking, right? And let's be honest, we've all been in the position of the disciples, Perhaps you've had some guests over to your house, or we talk about this with, with our life groups. How do you handle the people who just won't leave, right? How do you handle those people? I mean, when we go through our life group training, you know, at Troy, and I'm sure you've done it here too, one of those questions, how do you minister nicely to the person who just won't leave, Right? Life group is supposed to be on Sunday night from, from 5 to 7, and I've planned it that way so that I can still have a, a, some semblance of a meal with my family, and we can get the kids ready for the school week, and we can just get everything oriented, and you're looking at your watch, and you're like, okay, we've, we've fellowshiped, we've had our snacks, we've studied the Bible, we've prayed together, and I've got 10 minutes left in my life group time in order to wrap it up and say, thanks for coming, Right? Thanks for coming. And then there's the person there who just wants to continue talking. Maybe they want to talk about current events and how that plays into God's plan. Thanks for coming. Let's talk about that a little later, right? Or then sometimes, we, if we're honest with ourselves, it's the person who says, you know, hey, can I just stay and... I, I've got some things to talk about and to pray about. And 
If our hearts are right, we're like, yes, I'd love that to happen. But sometimes we're like the disciples, right? And internally we're thinking, oh man, I don't need this right now. Just go, send me a text message. Right now we really don't say that, right? But the disciples, this is where they were. This is where they were, and this is our humanity playing into this. And yes, we get tired, and yes, we get weary, and yes, we have those days where it seems like everything's full, and yes, we have those moments where it's just like, Jesus, where is the time? Can't ministry wait for another day? And that's where the disciples were, but Jesus models for us that he was able to provide for all who need him. And he calls us to have hearts that are always open to ministering whenever and wherever and however he calls us by the leading of his Holy Spirit to do these things. You see, the disciples, it seems like what they were doing was they were resorting to pragmatism instead of a faith-led type of response. And I think this is why Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And there are the 12, like, well, what have you got? <laughs> what have you got? You know? Uh, sorry, my cloak doesn't have pockets. I don't have anything. You know, and Jesus, you want us to, to go to town and to spend money? Like, we don't have this type of money. We don't even have a permanent place to stay with you, Jesus. Like, we left our homes, and we're following you, and you even said, like, you have no place to lay your head. So how are we supposed to afford all of this? You see, that's a great lesson for us. Because the disciples had just come off of seeing the miracles that they were empowered to perform. They had a whole day in which they had seen Jesus do these amazing, miraculous, God can only do these type of things. John uses this miracle as one of the seven major signs to point to the Messiahship of Jesus. And you look at everything that had happened here, and you take the context of what the disciples had experienced. Just take the Gospel of John, for instance, turning water into wine, healing a man's son. We see that he had healed a man who was lame at the pool of Bethsaida. And now he's got all these things that are going on, and the disciples are seeing this, and they're experiencing this almost every day of their lives where this man is proving to be the Messiah. And what do they do? They resort to pragmatism. Jesus, let's just send him away. And Jesus, in his own words, says, no, you give them something to eat. You know, within the context of this, too, it's so important. Time and time again, we as God's people resort to pragmatism. You can go back to Exodus chapter 16. And the people of Israel had just miraculously left slavery in Egypt. And there they were at the Red Sea, and they were grumbling. Oh, it would have been better for us just to stay in Egypt. And what does God do? He provides a way out for them by parting the Red Sea. And just a little bit later, oh, what are we supposed to do for water? And what does he do in, in Exodus 15? He miraculously turns bitter water into sweet drinking water. In Exodus 16, oh, we're hungry. Oh, it would have been better for us to be back in Egypt where we at least had food. And what does he do? He miraculously provides this thing called manna. And you see it time and time again. In Numbers chapter 11, God feasted the people with quail. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha provided miraculously a widow so that there could be 
oil for baking, and he healed people. And we see at the end of the chapter, there was bread for a hundred men out of just a few loaves. And so time and time again, even in our own lives, what do we see? We see God work in miraculous, amazing, God could only have done it type of ways. And what are we tempted to do? Resort to pragmatism. So Jesus is using this not only as an opportunity to show people that he is the Messiah, but he's using it as a discipleship opportunity for the disciples saying, look, do you really believe that I'm the Messiah? Do you really believe the only way to provide for these people is to send them home or to go to the town and and buy food that they need? There's another way to do this, and it's called faith. What about you and me? Where do we find and identify things in our own life that, that even though we call ourselves Christians, we're very pragmatic in how we live out our faith. We're very pragmatic in how we live out our faith. I think this is one of the things that Jesus is getting at. It's not only Luke telling Theophilus, hey, this Jesus guy is really amazing. Look what he can do. You should believe in him. But it's Jesus showing the crowd that he can provide for them. And it's Jesus showing his disciples, you should be people who live by faith. Well, we move on in this beautiful historical account. And we have verses 16 and 17. Verse 15, and they did so and had all of them sit down. And verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. In verse 17, it's really beautiful when you consider the entirety of what happened. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. See, it introduces our third point, that Jesus is never too limited to satisfy all who hunger for him. I love it. Jesus was using a meal, right? A miraculous meal, a smorgasbord, a buffet of delicious fish and fresh bread to satisfy the physical needs of the people, to show them that he could satisfy the spiritual needs of the people. And this is what Jesus did time and time again. Physical need? I've got that. That's easy. I've told a man to to take up his mat and and go walk. And what is easier, to tell a man to take up his mat or your sins are forgiven? And Jesus, time and time again, used addressing the physical need to show people that he was fully satisfying in the spiritual need. To the point where you began to see the people change, seeking Jesus for spiritual needs. Which is really the best healing that could ever happen. The healing of their souls, the forgiveness of their sin, and enabling them to have a relationship with God. But you see, the passage is even more beautiful when you begin to dig into it a little bit more. What does it say? Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. 
In the original language, the idea here is that it had happened in the past and it was continuing to happen in the future. I wonder what the disciples were experiencing. All right, I'm going to go to this group of 50 and, and you know what? Here you go. I, I'm all out. And <laughs> what do they do? They go back to Jesus. Oh, there's more. Okay, let me go get to the other 50. I'm out. Oh, there's more. And so this was an ongoing process of feeding 5,000 plus people. And the disciples just keep going back. And there's more. And there's more. And there's more. Seconds, anybody? And there's more. And there's more. Thirds? And there's more. And there's more. And Jesus is continually providing so that everyone ate and was satisfied. In my own life, I think of one of the most satisfying meals outside of our Easter feast that we get to have. This past year, we took the kids up to Mackinac Island, and they'd never been, and we stayed a night off the island there in St. Ignace, but one of the things we decided to splurge on was the Grand Buffet at the Grand Hotel. And if you've never been to the Grand Buffet at the Grand Hotel, it is grand, not only in the cost, but in what is offered. And the kids were there, and you know, Laura and I had been when we went on an anniversary trip uh, a while ago, but the kids, it's like, you mean I can just go up and get the food? Yes. You mean I can just go up and get more? Yes. You mean I can get more? <laughs> yes. You mean I can go up for dessert? Yes. I can go up for dessert again? Sure. You know, this is one of those times, right, where his parents on vacation, like, we're not saying no to anything, Right? <laughs> But it was so satisfying to see all the various types of foods and the beautiful desserts and, and to know, like, I've got this window of two hours to maximize my pleasure for food. But what Jesus did was greater. What Jesus did was greater than that. And it shows us, as some of you are reading in a meal with Jesus in your life groups, or maybe you're reading it on your own as the church is going through this, it's what Tim Chester calls the theology of leftovers. And he says this, the day is coming when he will give them, as he gives us, another impossible task, to proclaim repentance and forgiveness to all the nations. I'm talking about the disciples here. What can we do? Jesus asked us what resources we have, and he asked us to have faith. That day, the disciples took home 12 full baskets of leftover food. The impossible task was not only completed, but was over-completed. And those 12 disciples are now 2 billion and counting. He goes on to say, the disciples thought their five loaves were a finite resource that couldn't be shared. 5,000 people later, they still had 12 baskets full of bread. What about you? Do you believe that you can reach your neighborhood with the gospel? Can you plug up the courage to tell your friends about Jesus? Can you start a, a new church? Can you go on a mission trip to Rome? Can you feed 5,000 people with five loaves? <laughs> we, we, we could never do that, Right? We don't have the money, we don't have the resources, we don't have the people. Jesus says, what do you have? Offer that to me and let me use it for my glory. I just want to challenge you to think about that. 
in the next two weeks as we wrap up our preparation to Easter and you evaluate your own faith, where are you finding yourself to succumb to the temptation of pragmatism instead of Jesus can meet that need? You've got a coworker, you've got a neighbor, and you know, perhaps it's that neighbor that, you know, like I had in Cleveland, you know, he's just a straight up Muslim. I mean, our first conversation was, so is Jesus, where's his body? <laughs> you know, maybe you're thinking, you know what, in, encouraging my, my life group to, to invite people to their Easter dinner, like, man, that would be a big deal. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, my house is too small. I don't know. You know, I, I, food's expensive. I don't know if I have the resources to feed another family. I mean, these are the things that, that are small that Jesus is calling us to do, to trust him and to have faith in him to supply all of our needs, to call us away from the pragmatism that so often drives us and to go towards a faith-driven type of faith. And what about you? You know, every time the church gathers, there's two types of people that are here. There's those who have made the great confession, Jesus is the Lord, and they've believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead, and they've repented, and they've been baptized. You're a Christian, and so a message like this should serve to challenge you and to edify you and to call you towards greater actions of faith and away from a pragmatic type of me-driven religion. But there's also people, and some of you here might fall into this place. You're not a Christian. You're sitting in this and you're listening to this story for perhaps the first time or maybe you've heard it before and what the Bible is calling you to do, what God's word is calling you to do, what Jesus is calling you to do is to rely on him to fully satisfy your soul. Stop looking for the fixes that the world offers. Stop looking to, to the latest thing that's supposed to make you healthy and, and look to Jesus to satisfy the longings of your eternal soul. And that's what happened this day. The text doesn't exactly say it, but I think it's safe to say that many people believed in Jesus because of that day. We do know that crowds continued to follow him. The reality of who he was as the Messiah began to spread and many more began to believe it. And like I said, John uses this as one of the great seven signs that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's here for you today as well to realize that Jesus can meet your longings of your soul. And so my challenge to you would be before you leave today, talk to Nathan, talk to myself, talk to anybody who's been up here. Talk to a church member, right? A church member should know how to share the gospel and introduce you to Jesus in a greater way. Let Jesus fully satisfy you because he is enough to fully satisfy everyone who comes to him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.